it was a, it was a hard people, a tough people that came out here and settled this part of the world. You know what? The, uh, I'm sure some of your forefathers, ancestors, were among the group that came out here and, and homesteaded the plains. I know uh, I had some in north central Kansas that came out and, and did that. And folks who did that, they, they came out, and a lot of them, at least temporarily, if they didn't sleep in a wagon or something like that, they, they would literally would dig holes in the ground, like in a side hill. And for a little while, they lived like prairie dogs. They slept in the dirt until they could get enough sod cut to make a house out of sod. When a sod house is a vast improvement in your living conditions, you're, leaving a, you're leading a pretty Spartan life. These were, these were folks who then they, they broke the sod and they made little farms. They had a few animals and their, their career was basically survival. What are we going to do today, Dad? Well, we're going to try to work hard enough so that we can live till tomorrow. That's what we're going to do. We're going to get up tomorrow and we're going to do that again. And their idea of getting ahead was we're going to work hard enough today that not only can we be alive tomorrow, someday when the weather turns this winter, we're going to have something put away. We can survive that day too. That was getting ahead. And these are folks who learned by necessity to do everything they needed to do in order to survive. Because if you didn't, I mean, death was a real possibility and misery was a near certainty. I have a lot of respect for, for those folks who came out in this place when there weren't stores and there weren't shelters and just made a go of it. And the culture that those folks began to create in this part of the world, for us right here in Southwest Nebraska, about 150 years ago or so, that culture hasn't, still hasn't left. We still value hard work. We still value rugged independence. We still value that kind of independence that says, I can do it myself. We don't have any problem. We're culturally pretty happy to help someone else with his problem. But we don't really like to be the kind of person who needs help with my problem. And there are some real good things about that culture. But there are some real problems with our culture too. Culturally, in a culture where we have a hard time admitting I, there's something I can't do, I need someone else or something else, that rugged independence will keep a lot of people out of heaven one day. And that rugged independence that keeps people out of heaven somewhat because I won't admit that I even need God. And also, there's this weird part of that that when I think I don't need you and I don't need other people around here, they might be the ones who don't come to know 
their Lord too. Last week, we opened what we call the Book of Romans. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a bunch of Christians in Rome. And Paul had never met these folks. Paul didn't start the church in Rome. We really don't know who did or how it got started. It wasn't started by any of Paul's close associates. But Paul wants, as we'll see today, he wants to go visit these folks. He wants to get to know them. And he writes them this letter as a way of inter- to introduce himself and what he believes. And so in the book of Romans, we have the clearest and the most systematic and the fullest exposition of what it means to be a Christian. Who needs to be a Christian? Why he and she and me, why we need to be Christians? Um, how life changes when I become a Christian? How do I, how do I become a Christian? All of that is in the book of Rome. We're just, in the book of Romans, we are, we're just opening this thing. And today, Paul's going to let the Romans know a couple things, these Roman Christians. One, he's going to tell them that he thanks God Christianity has reached Rome. Then he's going to tell them, I want to come visit, and why? That's the Cliff Notes version of today's passage. And in that, you and I, I think, are going to learn some things about gratitude for where faith where the faith has reached. We're going to learn some things about prayer. And we're going to learn some things about our continued need for one another. And even for other folks maybe we haven't even met yet. Let's read this passage together. It's Romans chapter 1. We're going to read verses 8 through 15. Which go this way. Paul writing. He says, first... I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, God is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers making request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I might succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you might be established or built up. And that is that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us built up by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Verse 13, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I have often planned to come to you and I have been prevented so far, thus far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as with the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation, Paul says, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. And so for my part, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. Paul starts this, this is really the second part of of the introduction of the book, And the first thing Paul does in today's passage is to tell these Christians in Rome that he's continually thanking God that Christianity has spread to Rome. And I want you to notice, when when Paul says, "I, I thank my God for all of you, he's not thanking God that these people exist, right? Because he's never met them. He's not telling God, oh, I just love those people so much, Lord. You know how special they are to me. These are strangers. He's never met them. What he's thankful for is this. 
I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Why? Because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. That's what he's thankful for. One day, we don't know how it happened or when it happened. It's been some time before he writes this letter. But somebody came to Paul and said, Hey, Paul, guess what? There are Christians in Rome. And you haven't been there. And the other apostles haven't been there. But I'm telling you, I just got back from there. Or my brother-in-law just got back from there. And there is a church taking root in the Roman capital. And Paul says, every, every, time, every time I heard that, or when I heard that, I just hit my knees, and I thank God constantly that, there are, that Christianity has made it to Rome. I think when Paul hears that, what's exciting about that is Paul, when he hears there's a church up in Rome, Paul's hearing evidence and another reminder that God keeps his promises. And that's always exciting to someone who loves the Lord. Do you know, in, in some sense, the only reason there are saved, redeemed people anywhere is because God, thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, eons ago, God promised one guy named Abraham, he named Abram at that time. He promised him something. There was a guy named Abram. He lived in what we today call Iraq. And God calls Abram, Abram, who's that? Right? And it's me, God. He says, Abram, I'll tell you what. I'm God. Nice to meet you. And I'm going to make you a promise. If you will promise to leave, Abram, this Ur of the Chaldeans, this only place you've ever known, leave your family, you leave your home, leave everything, you and your wife, if you leave here and just go with me to a place, I'll show you when we get there. If you do that, I'll give you three things. I promise you, God says. I'll give you descendants that will grow into a nation. Second, I'll give that nation a land of their own. So you leave your land and I'll give your people their own land. We call that the promised land. And then the third thing, God said, and I will bless all of the families of the earth through your family. The rest of redemptive history is God keeping that promise. Because the way God blessed all of the earth, he did give Abraham descendants that grew into a nation. That nation is called Israel. Um, they, he gave Israel a land. They don't have it all yet, but someday they will. And the way God blessed all of the families or the peoples or the tribes or the whatever you want to call it throughout the whole earth is through that family, he sent the Messiah, the Savior, a Jewish king who would also be the Savior of the whole world. His name was Jesus. And while Jesus was alive, building on that promise that God promised to bless all the families of the earth through him, Jesus made this promise, I will build my church. And all the powers that hell could throw against me to keep me from doing that won't stop me. I am going to build my church. And the church is just an extension of how God made a promise to Abram to bless all the families everywhere in the whole world through Israel. I think that's what goes to 
Paul said, when Paul hears, wait a minute, there's a church in Rome? Paul doesn't get jealous. He doesn't get suspicious. He doesn't think, well, that can't be a real church because I haven't been there. Peter didn't go up there. He says, there's God doing what God does, keeping his promises. And Paul gets really fired up, not just because he has gotten word that there's a church in Rome, but Paul keeps thanking God because if I've gotten word that there's faith in, uh, in Rome, that's being proclaimed throughout the whole world. I'm not the only one hearing about this. By the way, just the way language works. When Paul says, your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world, Paul's not saying every inch of the globe knows there's Christians in Rome. That's not the way language works. Not now. It's not the way language worked then. I'll give you a current example. If I said to you this morning, everyone in southwest Nebraska is talking about these drones, would you say, would you, th- would you point at me and go, you're a liar for saying that? Nobody would say that, right? But if you think about it, is literally everyone talking about those drones? You're not talking about them right now, right? And if you are talking, you shouldn't be. There's a sermon going on. So quit your yapping and pay attention, right? But that's, that can be true. It's the way language works. It's a way of saying it. This, this, the news of these drones has spread all over, right? That's what Paul says. Why is Paul so excited that everyone's talking about there being a church in Rome? In Paul's day, so we're like 58-ish AD. We're within a quarter of a century of the cross. In Paul's day, Christianity was still this weird little Jewish cult. And you think about this. It was founded because there's a bunch of people who believe a Jewish carpenter didn't stay dead. It's not something people thought was going to stick and take off. And Paul says, this is, isn't, you know, in, a little, in places like Antioch or just among the Jews. It's not just where Paul travels and he's very convincing. Paul says, people are starting to hear right under the emperor's nose in Rome the emperor who believes himself to be a God, there's a church of the real God growing. We don't even know how it got there. Thank you, God, for doing what you do for keeping your promises. So that's one thing Paul has been praying. I just keep thanking God that Christianity has reached Rome and word of that is spreading. But that's not all he's praying. Verse 9, Paul says that uh, he basically calls God onto the witness stand. Paul does this from time to time. You know, for God, and whom I serve, the guy I serve in the gospel, for God is my witness that I continually remember you. That's basically Paul saying, if we could put God on the witness stand, and God raise his right hand and swear by him to tell the truth, God would back me up here. God would tell you, I pray for you guys all the time. I think that's a pretty good place to pause and remind ourselves of something that's easy to forget, but it's really important. And that's this, prayer is important. Prayer matters. Prayer makes a difference. I want you to think about who is writing this. 
The Apostle Paul, if there was ever a superstar in Christianity, it's the Apostle Paul. Not only is he the greatest missionary the church has ever sent out, Paul was handpicked by Jesus, by the risen Jesus, to be his chosen apostle to the Gentiles. The risen Jesus appeared to Paul on multiple occasions. I believe he took Paul out into Arabia and he, and he put Paul through Jesus' seminary and trained him personally. God gifted Paul with miraculous abilities. God ordained that Paul would write over half the books of the New Testament. Paul, they would take Paul's handkerchief around and touch people with it, and they would be healed. Paul was taken to heaven one time, though he didn't like to talk about it. Paul was a big deal. And Paul knew, this isn't up to me, this whole building the church thing. Jesus is going to do that. But given all of that, the Apostle Paul prayed all the time. And he asked other people to pray for him and for the gospel. If the Apostle Paul could think he needed prayer, what's that say for you and me? He prayed constantly. It matters. In some ways, prayer is the work of the gospel in, our, in the ministry. Everything else we do should be like an answer to prayer or the result of prayer. So Paul prayed all the time. And other than thanking God that there are Christians in Rome and that other people are hearing that, one thing that Paul was praying about, he tells him in verses 10, 11, I've been praying that I could come see you guys. That's what Paul has been, has been praying. I've been praying that God would allow me to visit Rome. In some ways, I think we should be surprised that Paul even wants to go to Rome. Because that was not Paul's normal uh, MO, not the, not the way his ministry normally worked. In fact, later in this very book, look at what Paul will say to the to same audience. Paul would say in 1520 of the book of Romans, Paul said his main desire is to preach the is to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so as not to build on another person's foundation. Paul didn't normally go where there were already Christians in a church that he didn't plant or one of his friends didn't plant. So why does Paul want to go to Rome? Paul says in verse 11, so I always ask in my prayers if perhaps now at last I can succeed in visiting you according to the will of God. For I long to see you. Why? So that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you and that we might be mutually comforted by one another's faith, both yours and mine. Cliff Notes version of why Paul wants to go to Rome. Two main reasons. Paul says, I want to go to Rome because I think I can help you and I think you can help me. I can strengthen you, and you can strengthen me. Now, it's easy to see and understand how Paul, the apostle, could strengthen a local church. If we could somehow 
make it to where the Apostle Paul could show up and teach here for a few weeks? Would you, would you give me a few weeks off if the Apostle Paul could, uh, could be here? Because I would, right? It's, it's easy to see how Paul could strengthen them. And, and by the way, don't read where he says, I want to impart to you some spiritual gift. If you've been in the church a long time and, and you've studied spiritual gifts, don't read everything you've ever learned about spiritual gifts into that verse. Paul's not saying, I want to come and give you some capacity or power or faculty that you didn't previously have. That's not what he's saying. He just says, I think I can use my spiritual gifts to strengthen the church in Rome so that you can use the gifts and talents and abilities you guys have toward God's glory. That's all. That's what Paul wants to do. For Paul... He says he wants to build them up, strengthen them. For Paul, the work of the gospel was not done just when people converted to Christianity. You know that? Paul wasn't just after people to bow their heads and raise their hand and pray a prayer and be done. We looked last week um, at what Paul's mission on earth was. And Romans 1.5 Paul told the Roman church this, through God, we have received our grace and our apostleship, our our commission. And what was it? To bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles to glorify God. The work of the gospel is never done in a church. And the work of the gospel was never done for Paul. That's why Paul's job, would you agree, was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. But if you read all of the books that Paul writes in the New Testament, it doesn't just say, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. Paul wrote how we're supposed to do church. Why? Because he wanted to strengthen and build up churches and Christians. So he wrote stuff about like how to solve conflict in churches. He wrote about how to identify leaders for churches. He wrote about why it's okay that you financially support the person who teaches the scriptures, one of my favorite parts of the Bible. Right? Paul wrote about all kinds of, it's all the gospel. It's all the gospel. So Paul wants to use his gifts to bring about the obedience of faith there in the Roman Christians. That's that's part of the gospel. But Paul's not only praying that he could go there so that he could strengthen them, Paul really clearly says these brand new Roman Christians can do something for the Apostle Paul. Isn't that weird? What could these people he's never met, brand new Christians, how could they, how could their faith do something that benefited Paul who'd hung out with the risen Christ? Now, it's true late in the book. I think he does invite them to partner with him financially because he wants to go to Spain, a place where the gospel hasn't reached. But there's something else going on here. Paul doesn't say, I can benefit from your giving. He says, we can benefit by one another's faith. Listen, there is never a point where, where we stop needing one another as Christians. If the Apostle Paul could say to a bunch of brand new Christians, you and your faith can really do something awesome for me, 
That means none of us will ever graduate to a point, advance to a level in Christianity where we don't need all, need all other kinds of Christians. So if the only kind of Christians you hang out with are the, the, the varsity people who have been Christians for a long, a long, long time, you are doing it wrong. Because Paul said, you brand new folks can do something valuable for me. There is nothing, and I think I can say this confidently and fairly dogmatically, there is nothing that will benefit the faith of, that will rekindle the fire under the faith of an old, experienced, crotchety Christian like the brand new faith of a brand new Christian. A few weeks ago, when we were, doing, uh, when we were lighting these Advent candles, Travis and Kelly Christman came up. They couldn't be here today, so I'll talk about them behind their backs. That'll teach you not to miss church right there, kids. It was great if you were here, wasn't it? You know, and the way they handled the scriptures. And uh, here's what I was thinking of while they were doing that. Years ago, Travis and Kelly were brand new to the church. The Lord was just starting to do a work in their hearts. And there was, we were between books. I don't even remember which books of the Bible we were between, but did a couple of kind of standalone sermons. One of them was about baptism. This is probably four or five years ago. And at the end of that sermon, like who gets baptized, why we baptize, stuff like that. At the end of the sermon, I just ask, is there anybody here who's become convinced that God wants, would want them to be baptized? And I look way back there in the back, and the, the way back there in the back was 20 feet closer than it is now. You know, Travis and Kelly, they used to sit back there in the, in the we're not really sure we should be here row. No offense back there. No offense. <laughs> Okay, and I look back there, and there's Travis and Kelly with their hands up high, tears streaming down their faces. And if we were to ask them that day, what's going on? They, they might have said something like this. You know what? I don't know what's going on, but we need what God is doing through Pastor Matt. We need to be here because, you know, Pastor Matt, he gets up there, and it seems like he's talking straight to me, like to my heart. We need that. You think that's true? I got news for you. I needed that just as badly as they needed this. It's, that's the kind of thing that screams out to us, oh yeah, this is what we're doing here. I'm not just trying to be good. There are souls out there who are lost. Their eternity is at stake and when lost folks come into contact with the gospel of Jesus Christ, he redeems people. And they might have needed this, but I could tell you, I, could sure, I sure needed that. That's what's going on here. Paul says, I want to come up to see what God is doing up there. I want the visual reminder that God keeps his promises Maybe Paul needed the reminder, hey, this isn't all about Paul. This isn't all up to me. I think those are Paul's main reasons for wanting to visit the church in Rome. 
But he does add a couple secondary ones, too, in 13 and 14. The first part of verse 13, Paul says this, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters or brethren, that I often have intended to come to you and I've been prevented until now. Now, that's another interesting thing for Paul to say. You know why? What he just said is, hey, I just want you guys to know I've really been trying to get up there to Rome. I just, I just haven't been able to make it. That's a weird thing to say to strangers, right? This is something you say to your elderly mother when you have not been able to visit for some time. Some of you know what I mean. Mom, I've been trying, right? When you start to feel guilty because you haven't made it back. Paul says this to people he's never met before. Isn't that weird? There's only one reason I can think of that Paul would say this. He goes out of his way to say this. And that's this. And this is kind of conjecture here. But as Paul gets word, that, hey, Paul, guess what? There's Christians in Rome. Guess what else word comes with that? And they're kind of sore that they haven't gotten a, a visit from any of the apostles. There, there may be this, this feeling in Rome that, hey, you know, Peter didn't start our church. Paul didn't start our church. Timothy didn't start our church. So nobody really cares about us up here. We're only up here right under the nose of the emperor. Nobody comes to see us. I, I think he's heard that. That's why Paul says what he says. I really want to come, I've just been prevented. By the way, I think God prevented Paul from coming so he would write this letter we're starting to study. And he says, I want to come so that I can have some fruit even among you. I want to come play with you guys and what God is doing. Just as I already have among the rest of the Gentiles, I don't think of you any less than I think of every place else I've already gone. Then he says in verse 14, I am a debtor. Paul's already said his debt is to God to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And he said, I'm indebted to the Greeks and the barbarians, to the wise and the foolish, and everyone in between. Here's what he means. Greeks and the barbarians. I'll do that one first. Um, in the first century Roman world, you either thought of yourself as a, as a Greek or a Roman, sort of ethnically, and that was the, you know, the top level. But to the Greeks and the Romans, everyone else was, guess what? A barbarian. Paul says, I don't differentiate. Don't think, I think, because I didn't start your church in Rome, that I somehow think your view is less important. Remember, I'm the apostle to the Greeks and the barbarians and everyone in between. I'm the apostle to the wise and the foolish, the educated uh, and Paul was very educated, and he could go to Athens and have, get in a conversation with scholars and philosophers. And that kind of person looks at everyone else as kind of a fool. Paul said, but I don't differentiate between those two worlds either. And all of that, verse 15, Paul says, all that's why I am eager to come and preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. Now, that's our passage for the day. But so what? What are we supposed to learn? <laughs> From you know, a guy that's been dead for 2,000 years, wanted to take a trip and visit a bunch of people who have also been dead for 2,000 years. What are, we, what are we supposed to get out of that? Here's some things that I think God would have us learn from these things. First, thank God that this faith of ours, this gospel reached here. 
Paul began by saying, I am so excited. I'm out of my mind. I keep hearing that there is Christianity has reached Rome. And Paul understood the strategic place and what that would do for, for uh, legitimizing the Christian faith, that there's a church in Rome. He just thought, wow, it is so awesome. Right there under the emperor's nose, God's doing what God does. Thank you, God, that the faith has reached Rome. Listen, never stop being thankful that the faith has reached like here in us. You know those barbarians Paul was talking about just a few sentences ago? For most of us, that's for all of us. That's our great, 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 great grandparents Paul was talking about. Raise your hand, and I want you to seriously do this. I mean it. Raise your hand if you are of Greek descent. Raise your hand if you are of, of Roman descent. You know what that makes us? <laughs> a bunch of barbarians. A bunch of barbarians. Do you know? Now, think about it. You think of a, a people group in the globe, someplace where it just feels like the gospel would be impossible to reach, just from humanly speaking. How many of you thought of the Muslim world like Arabia? Anybody think of that? You know, the gospel already conquered that place once. Most of the churches in our New Testament were there. God did that once, he can do it again. Do you know where the, the original, the original frontier people group that the early Christians thought, man, there is no way God could ever save those people. You know where that was? Leave the Roman Empire to the north and you'll, found, you'll find a bunch of terrifying people we like to call white folks. And that was most of our ancestors. And how many of you have ever seen, there's the Germanic tribes, Angles and Saxons and the Celts and all those folks, barbarians, the whole lot of them. How many of you ever seen a movie, a documentary where there were Vikings depicted? You ever see that? That was all our kin, okay? Except most of our families didn't live close enough to water to have boats. But everything else, that was us. Violent, pagan, bloodthirsty. Our ancestors were the original people that the original Christians who didn't look like us thought, there is no way those heathen could ever be saved. You and I may have been born in a place where like culturally, it doesn't seem impossible. Uh, you and I might be, have been born in a place where it's okay to be a Christian. But it took a long string of the providence of God to make it thus. Never stop praising God that the gospel reached someplace like this. I say this all the time with Jesus just before he ascended into heaven. I want you guys to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the outermost parts of the earth. There are very few places who are further away from Jerusalem than southwest Nebraska. Right? Nobody even knew this place existed from that part of the world for 1,500 more years. Praise God. God has done what he has done up to this point. Second thing we learn from this passage is again just about how much 
you and I, we still need each other. And we still need people that maybe we haven't met yet or haven't walked in the doors of this church yet. Do you know, if we are not a group of disciples who are reaching more people who will come become disciples, if this church isn't doing that, this church is dead. It just doesn't know it yet. Far more impressive churches, far bigger churches, churches with far more going for it than this one have been dead for a long time because they got comfortable being who they are with who they have. They forgot that they're just one part of this long chain of God keeping his promise to bless all the families of the earth. That's what Paul would tell Timothy. You take this thing I taught you, the stuff I taught you, and go teach other people. We still need one another. Some of us that have been the most experienced Christians in here, right? The frozen chosen. Sometimes what we need more than anything else is somebody, somebody new. We need to be strengthened by new folks coming to Christ, new folks serving, new folks doing the work of the gospel. And listen, if I, get, if I feel threatened when other people start doing that, I have not been serving for the right glory. If other people start doing things and it kind of steps, feels like, oh man, what am I about? We still need one another and we still need folks out there. We just don't know which ones they are yet. Which is why the last thing we're reminded today is we need to pray and pray and pray and pray that God would continue to build us up and strengthen us that God would show us, each of us, how he can use us. That God would, would show us whom we should invite or talk to or, or just befriend. And, and that God would continue to save folks, protect our church to his glory. Let's pray and then we'll uh, gather around the table. Father God, we thank you so much for even, even a little obscure passage about why Paul wanted to go to Rome. Thank you for what you can teach us about our need for one another, um, for the reminder of how blessed we are that the gospel reached where we were born. God, uh, thank you for encouraging us with new folks and new faith to breathe life into those of us who are, uh, have been here longer. God, continue to save folks, not so that this church survives, not so that we look like, a, like we have a great church, but so that you look awesome to the world around us. God, we love you. And thank you for saving us and those whom you will. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, once a month, we remind ourselves about this gospel God's been using to save people with that he promised for eons that he introduced through Jesus. Once a month, because Jesus prescribed this way 
as often as we do this, we're supposed to remember him. This is a way where we just visually act out the gospel. The gospel is that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised again on the third day according to the scriptures. So what we're going to do is we're going to take bread that's already been broken. And Jesus said we're supposed to use that to remember that his body was given for us. And and then we're going to take the cup that symbolizes his, his blood that was shed for us. And we're going to put that inside of us. Just going through this motion doesn't do anything for you before God. It's a reminder of the gospel. That I'm not okay before God because I'm moral, because I'm self-disciplined, because I'm a hard worker. We remind ourselves, I can't do this myself. I need it saved. And I was saved because Jesus gave his body and shed his blood so that my condemnation would be poured out when I stood before God. If you believe those things, I invite you to to celebrate this with us while we share it together. As the guys come forward, I'll pray over the bread. Father God, thank you so much for the gospel. Thank you for bringing it to, to America, to Southwest Nebraska. God, may we always be mindful of the, the miraculous providence of God that made this a place where it's friendly, it's okay to be a part of the gospel. And God, we want to spend some time remembering what you did to buy us, to redeem us from the world and from our sin. You gave your son to die for us. Commune with us while the bread comes around and we remember his body in Jesus' name. Amen.